Okay, okay. Episode 7. We're already to 7. We are, with Sam and Joe, part 2. The first one was so good, the second one is just as good. At least as good. And uh, we got some jalopy records. What what songs are we playing today? Today we've got um, a really special tune from the Secret Museum of Mankind, Guitars Volume 1. And then later on, a special song from our 7-inch series. Excellent. Another good episode. Here we go. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. <laughs> The Jalopy Corn Dog Hour with your hosts Natalie Jordan and Jeff Wood, recorded right here at the fabulous Jalopy Theater and School of Music in Red Hook, Brooklyn. So, without further ado, here we go! called Papua New Guinea by a group of anonymous guitar players from Pat Conti Secret Museum of Mankind Guitars Volume 1. Um, this vinyl is sold out, but it's available online. And we have another secret museum in the works for you all, which we are all super excited for. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's great. Um, wow, it's so good. That's really, the, fi- the fiddle one? That's the fiddle one. Uh, that's coming out in a couple of months? I hope so. I think so. Yeah, um, and Jeff Tochi did all of the artwork again. It's incredible, all these beautiful old fiddles. Um, so stay tuned for more information on that and keep up with us and with Jalopy Records for all the latest updates. And now we are coming to the uh, second part of this interview with Sam Wilson and Joe Therian. We're very proud to have them. And, you know, They are the box cut part of the Box Cutter Collective and our... The Jalopy's resident uh, puppet, left, highly leftist <laughs> political puppet group. We adore what they do. And so without further ado, 
Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's hit it. Weasel show? Weasel. Weasel citizen hero. Weasel is a weasel <laughs> who is is a longtime activist and and I one of my earliest puppet shows with Jason Hicks was um the continued continuing adventures of Weasel, maybe we called it. And they were super simple, super short, very formulaic. The the curtain opens and he's reading a letter from an activist who's asking for help. And he's like, uh, what's his catchphrase? Um this looks like a job for Weasel, citizen hero. And then Weasel goes to the area, you know, goes to the location that the action is happening, makes a total mess of everything, and ends up getting exploded or crushed or somehow physically maimed. And you think he's dead. And then he says, <laughs> I'm okay. And then he, that's, that's the end. He continues on. He's like, never, he, he fails miserably every time and just continues on. Fighting the fight, and it was kind of a funny puppet show for most people. But activists found it moving, both like deeply moving and depressing, because they would like they would come up to us at the end of the show and be like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what it's like. Yeah, no, oh wow, you, you got it, you got it." That's people who've been in it for a long time, because it is like, you know, it's an endurance game for longtime activists, and Weasel just <laughs> represented how they felt emotionally. Um, and we toured that show around a little bit. We took it to Puerto Rico. Definitely performed it at Jalopy. He was one of the earliest characters who would sort of possess me and would be talking without my conscious effort. Um, there's more than one of those? <laughs> there's a few of those. <laughs> there's a few of those. There's a few of those. Weasel was the, an early one that just, as soon as I, I found the puppet itself, I found in like the bottom of a moldy box of broken puppets at Bread and Puppet, like in a shed in a far corner. And I, some, I just picked him up and he like magically came alive in my hands. And um, we built the show around him that summer with Jason. And, and yeah, that was, the, that was the first. Well, there, were, there, there was, yeah, there was um, one time I was puppeteering a, an oven in college. And it was talking. And then it started, it started lamenting the fact that as soon as I took my hand away, it would lose consciousness and never get to think or talk yeah. again. And I, and I didn't, I was really in a moral dilemma. I didn't know what to do. I was standing with my friends and it went from this funny thing where I was making the stove talk to this dilemma of like, I now have to end this stove's life because I'm going to take my hand away. And that was the, that was, I remember that experience stuck with me. I was like, what was that? What part of your brain can do that? But it wasn't for, wasn't for many years until that brain part got activated again. And Weasel was kind of the first one where I was like, oh, Weasel, when I put him on, he just talks. And can kind of deal with anything. And actually when things go wrong in those shows, which they were sort of designed to just be explosive and things go wrong, he was great because he would always know what to say. So there was like a kind of a fearlessness. When you have that kind of a character, it's like you want the things to go wrong because that's when it gets exciting. And when you know that character really can confidently interact with whatever mishap happens, it's it's one one recipe for excitement on stage. And, and Weasel was in that vein... Our friend Cold Milk, who's not a puppet, he's he's a human-sized puppet, but um, a, a clown character that occasionally peeks out from behind my brain. He's another one that once he's in control, we don't, we often don't write things for him. We just say, then Cold Milk goes on stage and does something, <laughs> and he does something. Um, well, I remember when you first came up with that character, you sort of introduced him to me uh -huh. in the theater. Oh, did I? You're like. I 
So I got this guy that I've been thinking about. <laughs> His name is Cold Milk. He's this sort of clown. <laughs> I, I was really actually very taken aback by that. Uh, we had never talked about something like that before. And it was <laughs> like like you needed to talk about <laughs> to, to anyone who would listen. Uh-huh. And, you, and then you do the voice for us. Because I found it quite disturbing yeah. when yeah. I first... Because your face, your visage, your aura changes <laughs> when you become this character. Well. It's really... You know when cold milk is going to show up because if Joe Therian has his watch on, cold milk can be kept at bay. But if cold milk wants to come out and the watch is off, there's no, it's, then it's, who knows? Well, luckily I'm clearly Dicey. wearing my, wait a minute. Okay. I'm all right. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> the best thing to do? Okay, I'm sorry. It's been a while. Yeah, Sam loves cold milk. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I do, kind of. He's, he's like one of those things, you know, You, you, you he's not around for a while and you kind of miss him and then he comes you're like, oh yeah. That's what cold milk is. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a... I don't know. <clears throat> he's like a one of the new Star Wars movies. You're like, oh yeah, Star Wars movie. And then you watch and you're like, oh, I never need to see one of those for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but then after a couple of years, you're like, I'll see the Jedi again, sure. And then you watch, you're like, oh, no, no, it's, it's bad. Um, Sam, I wanted to talk to you about Judy. Mm-hmm. The, wasn't that the film that you guys did? Yeah. Well, it, and I was, when I was thinking of your voice, because you have your, <laughs> your lovely speaking voice, but then there's this... I've heard you do that Judy voice for a couple of different characters, I think. But Judy was very, very particular. I know. I, I hope it's only Judy's voice for Judy, but that probably does happen. But I if, mean, if Judy were here, which she's not, she's at the studio... But it's a similar thing. Like, if she's on my hand, then she's with us. Um, and actually, Judy and Weasel had a pirate radio show together. During the pandemic. For, for a minute. Mm-hmm. That was no exciting. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Well, short-lived, but, <laughs> but important. They, like, they get along all right. What? They get along great. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, like, different. They're kind of different. They have different approaches. But I think, like, at the end of the day, they have shared values. Yes. But they're really coming from different places. Tell us about who is Judy. <laughs> Judy is a, like, 200-year-old grandma. Um, she doesn't have any kids, but she does have grandkids. And um, <laughs> she was just your regular, like, working-class New Yorker. Um, she She, I think it started when... You know, they like upped her hours and they like decreased her benefits and she was pretty fed up and she turned to robbing banks. And then from there, I think she got radicalized. And <laughs> After robbing banks, she got radicalized. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It was when she met um, Papas Fritas and Don J- John Dillinger. Oh, yeah, that's true. That she really, you know, started reading more 
What stuff. is what is the robbing of a bank compared to the founding of a bank? There you go. Her famous speech from <laughs> the end of the um, banks are made of marble. And then she was in a show called The Possession of Judy, which might get a remount soon. And uh, where then she joins she... A, a coven of uh, eco terrorist witches and um, takes down Google and Amazon and. Everyone. I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, the same thing keeps happening to her, which is like she gets a job. She thinks it's going to be all right. Recently, she was working at an online retailer called Sahara. And every time she thinks like, you know, it's going to be different or she just needs a little bit of money to pay the cat's vet bills. And then something happens and somehow she like, I don't know, tries to fix it. Well, what's interesting, too, is Judy, you know, it it comes out of a, a... Sam said 200-year-old for for Judy's age, but really she's like a five or 600-year-old at least um, Italian character. I beg your well, pardon. Well, British through the way, through, by way of Italy. Good for 200. <laughs> <laughs> you look great for 200. But Punch and Judy were these shows, you know, that are still done very uh, formulaic shows about a... I mean, Punch is really the hero, and he's, he's sort of an anti-hero where he upends every rule of polite society and um he ends up you know uh, getting the hangman to hang himself and ends up tricking satan and and never never gets his comeuppance and you kind of root for him because he represents that part of us where we all 500 years ago and then judy dumped his ass and now he's not in these shows well, yeah. it's a judy it's a judy it's show funny. there's no punch mr punch is long gone well he's like, he, so long occasionally there's Occasionally, he makes a cameo in the Judy shows well. as like an out of work puppeteer. Huh. I think, um, but but it's funny because you know in twenty twenty three there are more than one Judy show. Judy has has gotten her um, moment. I feel like in the last decade or or two there have been more Judy shows. So ours is is one of sort of a movement, but ours is I'd like to think the most um, self effacingly hyper political. Judy show, perhaps, that I've seen. But she's... How many shows have you done with her? I know you did the film, but has she been in a bunch of different shows? She also had a presidential run. <laughs> That's true. I can see that she film was the called third... Judy for President, and she did, in fact, win, though it was by accident. She accidentally murdered Satan and Death, who she was running against. That was the movie. That, that was, was Judy for President. That was Judy for President. There's yes. also a film called Judy Union Made, which was a commission from Green Feather, the Green Feather Foundation, uh, Heather Henson's production company, um, who has been has seen us at Jalopy, and I remember one one show she saw at Jalopy. She said, "I think that was the best puppet show I saw all year," and then wow. has has. Um, what show was that? That wasn't Everything Is Fine. It was the mm. one where Tom, where, where Lionel, Tom plays Lionel Cousins. That's the the main character of the Everything Is Fine series, and he got an implant in his brain so that he could go on the internet without having to go on a computer. And it was just a little, basically, a little puppet on a ship that went in his brain and took over, named Gugu. Um, <laughs> and it was just I played Gugu, Tom played Lionel, and things got worse and worse. Yeah. It was like right at the end of the year. So what other Judy shows are there? Uh, Banks are made of marble. And The Possession, the Possession of Judy. Of Judy. There's only, only two live ones. And then there. she also I mean, she, had a radio. She had this, that pirate radio show. And Judy's, Judy's like, you know, she's, she's here forever. She's here for good. 
Yeah. She, she pops up yeah. all the time. She pops up. Yeah. She's kind of got a thing with Roscoe, Roscoe okay. T. Butterbucks, doesn't okay. she? Okay. No, not really. There's like a, there's <laughs> a, there's a used car salesman from New Jersey that I, I feel like I've noticed some chemistry between the two. Um, but there's also our jalopy collaboration piece, Happy Land Now, mm. that maybe maybe you want to talk about because you were in it. Well, um, I guess what I would say about that show is I found out what a tightrope walk your guys' shows are, are like. <laughs> Like, they're a, a slightly controlled fall. <laughs> and things are written in the last possible second, and that the, the sets are just barely coming, because you're doing so many things, and you're so busy, but just pushing the boundaries of yourselves. And, I, had, I mean, I've done a fair amount of theater, but I'd never done anything like that that mm. was so last second. It was... I found it most upsetting <laughs> at first. No, just at first. And then, like, the first show, I, I, I don't remember being nervous like that on stage since I was young. Mm -hmm. Like a kid. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, holy crap, how is this going to happen? <laughs> I mean, we've, we've done this for, like, a half an hour so far. But the second show, I, I felt like I could have just kept doing it. Because it, it was, like, I can't believe they pulled that off. That's just unbelievable. But... And it was great. I mean, and then how much work you guys put into it. It was it was really a wonderful experience to be part of it. I'd always wanted to be do something with you guys. And I got to play Poseidon, which was really fun. Sort of typecasted. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because that part didn't exist in the original outline until we're like, Wait, we got to get Jeff involved. And, and we, I think, sitting around the table here, we're like, what, what character could Jeff be? I'm like, oh, maybe Poseidon. And now Poseidon is... Central, He's the essential. main narrator. He, he keeps the ship going. But also that was just one of the things in like, right, how we work. So it's like developing, developing. And it's like there was this outline for this thing. And there's like, and we knew it was like a jalopy project. And we're like, you know, what does that look like? And then when we had the idea that like, okay, oh, oh, Jeff could be Poseidon. And then it just brought this whole other key element to the story, which is like, and I think you might have even you might have just add, made this up when we were shooting that video, but it's like this figure that's like, can't you just be happy where you are? Like the sort of, you know, just the whole, some deeper meaning. And it's like, that's the layering that happens to make the work better and better. And like, that was just a perfect, awesome example. And then that role became so central to the piece. And then we took it to Boston and then Joe had to do your part. And in some parts, he was like, I'm just being Jeff, being Poseidon. Like, like, I was playing like, Jeff Wiley, playing Poseidon. Playing, it was you very playing fun. him, and You're it was great. You actually yourself, yes. It uh, was great. And oh, also, we got to bring some, like, some of those characters were inspired also by jalopy people, like Captain Fernando and um, Miriam Elhaji, and, like, some of them, and then people from jalopy, jalopy musicians, who are also our friends and who are also amazing performers, came with us to Boston, and that was... Just like so moving because some people are signed up, you know, for the box cutter collective. As I said, we have no other friends, no family in the lives, <laughs> whatever <laughs> cult, blood packed somebody, <clears throat> I won't name his name, made a sign, but 
Uh, like those people don't have to do that. And then they were willing to, and it was just like so incredible, such a gift, such, such talent and such amazing people around Jalopy and such community. And it's just so rad. It's like, we get to collaborate all the time with the most amazing people. And it's like, you don't have to start from scratch because we're starting from this place that we're all in, which is, which physically is the Jalopy. And it's like, it's super meaningful in the same way that Bread and Puppet creates this like cradle where these things can happen. The jalopy is like the Brooklyn arm of that. And it's like, I think about, you know, Eli Smith, like we're going to collaborate with him next year on some jalopy records thing. And just like how those collaborations are so easy when the cradle is there. And that's incredible. That is so what I was thinking when I was building the place, when I, I was sitting on a plane and I was reading a book about Dadaism. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this just sort of like, what's wrong with the world? How, what, what would be a help? And I thought to myself, it's really just space. It's, there's nowhere to do anything. There's nowhere for, unless you're really driving towards money or making great profit. Well, where is it? To, that's why it, the world needs a, just a space to do things. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was thinking of when we built the place. It's like, here, here's a space. Do things. You, people, don't worry about it. Just get up there and do things. We won't make any money, but we'll at least enjoy ourselves. <laughs> well, it's you funny because it ties so into like the ethos of Occupy Wall Street. I mean, really, ultimately, yeah, there was some, you know... You could talk about Citizens United or, you know, a certain political things to that birthed it. But really it came down to we had a public space where people were like, yeah. let's go here and have space to, like, try to fix things. And that was part of what was so insanely magical about that place. It's also part of why Bread and Puppet has been able to thrive. They have a physical yeah. place that, that they're able to do it. And it's what one of the – in New York City, my God, to, for the amount of artists here that are out of work and – Still, it's like if you don't have the space, it's so hard to do anything. And I think that's part of, you know, you were talking about the how terrifying it was to be in the process of Happy Land and be like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it is this constant formula of, you know, how far can we push ourselves in terms of ambition and scope of this particular project and also then be able to perform it on stage with the short turnaround. You know, it's it's. It's part of having, like, money is really out of the equation, thank God, uh, for better or worse. Like, money is our last, like, okay, because of the generosity of places like Jalopy and all of the artists that we work with, um, taking that part out, then it's just about the thing you're making. And then the amount of energy and focus and investment you can put into it is, is just kind of incredible when you're not trying to balance it like is this a realistic thing for us to be doing is this a sane thing for us to be doing is this even a sustainable thing to be doing those questions are sort of pushed to the side and you get this incredible energy around the projects that you know has to be tempered with you do have to actually then perform it on stage in front of in front of people but there is a very exciting quality it also it makes me think of um like 10 years ago, Tom and I were, we, we got to Bread and Puppet the same summer, summer of 2013, and got heavily involved after that. But there was a moment a few years after we were involved where we were just like lugging these giant puppets in the hot sun at Bread and Puppet, and we're just like sweating profusely and working like 18 hour days just to make these puppet shows again for no money happen. 
no money for us or the theater. It was just wonderful idiotic thing we're all doing and I just looked at Tom and I was like this is crazy huh and Tom I remember him just looking at me with sweat like pouring into his eyes so he was like kind of squinting at me and he said I just want to work this hard on my own shows and I remember oh, it was like a really yeah. big light bulb moment for me where I was like wait right if we can work this hard on Peter Schumann shows God bless him why wow, can't we work yeah. this hard on our own shows and it was years but then sometime before the pandemic actually probably right when we were first getting booked at the jalopy we had hit that moment where i was like i'm officially working as hard on my own shows as i used to work when i was at bread and puppet which is like kind of an insane statement to make because you really are working like 16 hour days at bread and puppet but um but it feels so amazing to be able to re like redirect that kind of frenzied uh non-capitalist non-profit motive energy into your own things and by my own thing it's like such an awesome collaboration of artists and it's it's not like it's my work it's box cutter has become an engine that tons of people can feed themselves into and get it you know get out of it um we still haven't defined box cutter oh, where yeah. it comes from what what right. what is box cutter we need a we should say who's in it so box cutter collective right now is sam wilson joe therian jason hicks tom cunningham Darken Brown, Ali Deneen, and our friend Amelia. And uh, she's a one name kind of a she's star. Like, like, like Cher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that's the collective mm -hmm. at the moment. That's the core. That's the core group who has to go to all the meetings. That's the funny thing about Box Cutter. There's a core group, and initially it was just four of us. And Allie Deneen, who we would often hire, and we loved working with her. Um, who also teaches at Jalopy. Who also teaches at Jalopy and is a, Does a lot wonderful of stuff member Jalopy, of the community. And we met at Bread and Puppet. Uh, summer of 2013, one time when I met. She finally just kind of almost angrily said, Guys, I, I no longer want to be a hired gun. I want to be in the collective. I don't want to just be a hired gun. And we kind of looked at her and said, okay, but you'll get paid way less and have to go to a bunch of meetings. <laughs> and she just thought about it for a second and said, okay, I'm in. And that's kind of the biggest test you have to pass to join the inner core. Every After that, Darkin and, um, and Amelia, both of them, we were like, when they really wanted to be in, we're like, this means less money and more work. And they all said resounding yes. So that's how the core uh, found itself. But then there's a, there, then there's a second... Tier. It's kind of a little bit like an onion. You can keep peeling away layers, but... An extended company that involves a lot of great people, including a lot of jalopy people. Yeah. What do you feel... What is, is there a some sort of defining nature to the box cutter? I mean, some is there a direction that you're pointing towards? I mean, sort of a... What is the philosophy of the box cutter? We've tried to, we've written a couple versions of this statement, right? I mean, one would say we're trying to underthrow the empire. Underthrow the rotten empire, for sure. Um, yeah. With puppet shows made from garbage and bad jokes. Um. <laughs> it does really come out of this, you know, this, like, specific puppet world that I think we have a lot of foundation in, which is, like, bread and puppet. I know, and, I hate to keep quoting works. that damn Peter Schumann, great but he does works, have that line. Really, oh. uh, we, this is a bread and puppet, but I think it applies to Boxcutter too. We make good and bad puppet shows, but all of our puppet shows are for good against bad. Against evil. Against evil. Um, but, yeah, I think like also the cheap art ethos and 
stuff from the garbage, not spending a lot on materials, that sort of like using what you have, um, responding in the moment to stuff. Th those things are all part of our school. Yeah, I think, you know, we all have a, a deep-seated belief that the world can be better and the shit that keeps us up at night is what we make puppet shows about partially because we want to make the world better and partially because we can't sleep. So we have to do something with all of those anxieties and crazy thoughts. But, um, yeah, we turn, we turn our anxieties about the world into puppet shows that give a glimpse of a, of a possible better world. Um, and largely using garbage and repurposed materials because the world is awash in them, especially New York city. Especially cardboard. Mm. We've become connoisseurs of cardboard. Hence the box cutter. Yes. Yes. Because that was one of the things that got me out of being a prop builder. Mm -hmm. Is all of the stuff that I built was thrown away. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted it out of foam and... Yeah. Only um, things that will last 10,000 yeah, plus and, years. Yeah. You know, uh, pressed board and, you know, MDF. Yep. Which was all terrible for me to be using for my health. Mm -hmm. And then it was just all going right into a dumpster and into a landfill. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I, I can't, I can't be part of this. I mean, it, I love doing that work. Yeah. But I, I can't make anything out of styrofoam. Yeah. That, that's just hateful. I hate garbage. Yeah. In some ways, I mean, I think like, again, the, the, when I went to Bread and Puppet, it like, it takes a long time. You go there a bunch and then you sort of understand more and more how it, how it works and how to make shows in that environment. But they have, you know, we have barns and barns of old puppets. Like we have the museum and then we have these sheds and they make stuff and they use it until it falls apart or it has to get burned. It's like, you know, they use it until it dies and it's just made of cardboard and paper mache. But part of what happens there is there's this like world and there's, for example, there's these characters that come back again and again and again because they're reusing all of their stuff and they're also making shows really quickly and they're reusing um, sometimes whole sections of shows or texts, but definitely characters. And it's like they've created a world. And then with that, there's this meaning that starts to exist. So it's like a character, you know, in the Bren Puppet world, it's had a life. Like it's had, it's been in many shows. It has a role. So when it comes to its new role, it's also not starting over it's like a real it's like a real world and i think that box cutter also kind of does that like a lot of our shows are there are different worlds that we explore but even within those worlds there's a lot of like recycling and recirculating and for example judy like judy has a whole character because not just because she has one show or not because somebody wrote her a backstory but because she's like actually done a bunch of things in the world. Yeah, that's a fascinating and idea. That happens at Bread and Puppet too, but part of it is honestly just the recycling. And it's like, yeah. you know, our Happy Land set was our Caveman Ballet set. Maybe nobody knows that, but like, I don't know, for me it means something because it's like yeah. we're constantly building this world. It's like composting world. our work into <laughs> new puppet work, you mm -hmm. know? it's a it, And it keeps, yeah, it feels like it continue, continues to grow and develop. And the recycling, though, deepens it. It's not just, like, thrifty. Mm -hmm. When you, like, cold milk now comes with a whole um, deeper history because of all the shows that he's been in up until that point. 
which I, I totally agree. That's, and that's a unique thing. I haven't experienced that outside of Bread and Puppet. I'm sure there are other theater companies that that's similar for, well, although not like, like commercial Comedia theater Like has York. recurring characters. Stock characters is something that was like explained to me when I got oh, to Bread sure, and Puppet. Oh, sure, yeah, the concept. But it's, it, but it's functionally, not about the actual stuff. And yeah. So much of our stuff is about the stuff, even yeah. though it's trash. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so tell me about this cat, the indoor outdoor oh, cat. Man, that cat. <laughs> well, what's the cat's name? Her name is Beauregard. <laughs> My grandfather named her 13 years ago when we found her in the backyard, and uh, she has some sort of dementia. She lived inside for years and then got fleas. And ran and ran away. Oh boy! Um. And now she moans <laughs> with, a, with a longing. What do you need? Okay. Oh, now you're gonna hear the. Whoa. See, that's not. It's not it okay. Sounds like she's speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So she was in exile, living in the chicken coop for a long time, and now she's moved back in because of. The kindness of Joe's heart. But that chicken coop is also the chicken coop where Jeff Tochi's cat came from, who's named Chicken. Chicken. Chicken came from that chicken coop? Yes. Mm-hmm. When Beauregard no was kidding. living inside, that cat was living outside, and that's why we couldn't have that cat. But you know, it's all worked out. Every, everyone has some good cats and some bad cats. Yeah. But. Well, what a conversation. Absolutely fascinating. I enjoyed every moment of that conversation. I learned so much about you guys and your history and your your philosophy. And you you must have a show coming up at Jalopy. Well, I'm sure we'll have a couple shows at Jalopy, but we're really excited about um, the Flushing Town Hall in oh. December, December 16th, because we're gonna go as Box Cutter Collective. We're gonna bring a program, and then we're also gonna do our Box Cutter Collective and Allie Deneen piece, um, the St. Joan show. Yeah. And so we'll do yeah. a version of that. And then Allie's also going to, and then the, the Jalopy chorus is going to play too. Fantastic. So it's, yeah. It seems like a pretty big event. Uh, yeah. It's on our calendar. So that's at the end of the year, but we're already excited about it and thinking about it. And of course, we're going to do things before that, like in a couple of weeks at the Windjammer, which is also programmed mm-hmm. by Jalopy. Yeah. Um, but mostly we can't wait to be back at jalopy proper Absolutely. on our little stage with no wings where all the magic happens and uh yeah and more and more theater is there and burlesque mm-hmm. which yeah. is amazing everyone was excited about that and our friends theater and asylum everyone was excited about that and mm-hmm. it's just like such a i swear we can make some wings place. i have an idea for to make wings cool it it's not gonna be great but we'll, we can add some space to the We'll work on it. It's we'll already it. great. It's amazing. It's amazing. And someday we'll build the fly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And just cut a whole big hole in the ceiling. And yeah. Uh, and uh, then uh, we'll have uh, eyeball paint about a million backdrops. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> raise and drop. Raise and drop. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What a lovely conversation. Yeah. We'll talk again soon. Thank you Excellent. so much. Thanks, Thank Jeff. you. Thanks, Natalie. Okay, that was that was really something, wasn't it? 
I love those two. Thank you so much to Sam and Joe for joining us. Absolutely. Giving us their time and and uh, all of their wonderful art that they bring to our place. And they have some amazing projects coming up. So you all should subscribe to their newsletter out on the internet and it's, keep up to date with what they're doing. It's incredible how prolific they are. It's am- The amount yeah. of work that those guys put out is just amazing. I don't know how they find the time. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> they just drag it out of the world. So uh, we have another song. We do. We are going to hear now from Meredith Axelrod, a tune off of her Jalopy Records 7-inch series. This one is called Goodbye Old Paint. I'm leaving Wyoming, the reins are in my hands. Goodbye Old Paint, I'm leaving Cheyenne. love that one that is a <laughs> she just slayed that song amazing i love her yodeling the just those little ones at the end of each little word it's like you're being taken back in time it really is it kind of feels that way when she performs live too being yeah. in the audience for that but yeah she looks like she's back in time <laughs> and she sounds like she's back in time when they played the folk festival was it with uh frank fairfield yeah, that was back in 2018, 2019. Oh, I wouldn't know. They were so good. <laughs> they were so good. Well, here's uh, 
we've come to the end. Here's Wyndham Baird doing uh, Stepstone. Here's Stepstone. See you next time. On my stepstone, school days are over. Long for the time to go by. Now that it's gone, and I stand here tonight, I bid this old stepstone goodbye. Goodbye to my stepstone, goodbye to my home. God bless the ones that I leave with this side. Fields will be widening, and I will be gone. This wide world alone It's hard to be parted From those that we love When reverses and fortune have come World's strongest heartstrings are broken in twain by the absence of loved ones and home. Goodbye to my stepstone, goodbye to my home. God bless the ones that I leave with a sigh. Fields will be widening and I will be gone to ramble this wide world alone. Stepstone to eventide now The wind whistles by with a moan How did it start and I stand here tonight Goodbye to my stepstone home Goodbye to my stepstone, goodbye to my home God bless the ones that I leave with this side Fields will be widening and I will be gone around this wide world alone. Well, folks. That's the end of the Jalopy Corndog Hour with Natalie Jordan and Jeff Wood. Can't thank you enough for listening. So from all of us at the Jalopy Theater and School of Music, if you're not out there loving each other, you best get to it. So long.